Good morning. Genesis 42, the continuation of um, the amazing story of Joseph and his family. Genesis 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered the dreams about them and said to them, You are spies, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man, who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, It is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, 
to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, The man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, We are honest men, we are not spies. We were twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, This is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in sorrow. Genesis chapter 43. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, you will not see my face again, unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, why do you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How were we to know? He would say, bring your brother down here. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. 
Then then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, I am bereaved. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took the gifts and double the amount of silver, and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house. We beg your pardon, our Lord, they said. We came down here the first time to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver, the exact weight, in the mouth of his sack. So we have brought it back with us. We have also brought additional silver with us to buy, us, to buy food. We don't know who put, our sil- sil- who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon, because they had heard that they were to eat there. When Joseph came home, They presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, and then he said, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself said, Serve the food. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in order of their ages, from the firstborn 
to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. How can we possibly finish the story, uh, stop the story there? Uh, Thank you very much indeed, Richard, for reading that so excellently for us. It really is a bit of a cliffhanger that we're ending on uh, today, but we are going to end there. Uh, But um, we'll get there eventually next week. But I don't know about you, but I find this story of Joseph um, incredibly moving. Um, I, I think... It's because there is something that resonates deep inside us as we see this story unfold. It's, what resonates, I think, is a desire for relationships to be fixed, for there to be reconciliation with broken relationships. I guess we've all got um, broken relationships, either now we've had them in the past or we'll have them in the future. And there is this deep longing that somehow or other that these relationships would be fixed, that there would be reconciliation. But as we come to this uh, story in Genesis, we're looking at Jacob's broken family, and we're looking at how God, bit by bit, puts it back together. And as we come to chapters 42 and 43 today, what we're seeing is a reunion which eventually will work its way towards a reconciliation. But how do you even restore a broken relationship? Is there even a roadmap for that kind of thing? I mean, if if there's a kind of a minor breakup between people, a minor falling out, I know maybe you've 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 said you'll do something you forgot, but then you apologize. Well, Well, the sorry is... Well, usually, at least, it's going to fix the, the problem, usually. But what about when there's something major? What about when you do something or something, someone does something to you which is, which is traumatic and life-altering? What about then? I mean, how do you even fix something like that? How do you even begin? Joseph and his brothers have got this major breach uh, between them. If you've been with us through the story, you know the story, you'll know that the brothers sold uh, Joseph into slavery. And he was there for a few years, and then he ended up in prison. 13 years in total. That is a major uh, breach, isn't it? Uh, That is a a life-altering breach. And, um, well, will Joseph uh, forgive them? Well, even if he does, and forgiveness is very difficult, forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. But this story brings hope because God has a roadmap for reconciliation. And it begins with reunion. It then moves on to remorse and then repentance. And uh, first, obviously... If you're going to heal a fracture, what you need to do is you need to bring the 
the broken parts close together. They need to be in close proximity. There needs to be contact. There needs to be reunion. Reunion. So we join the story in chapter 42 with, uh, with uh, this broken family in this desperate situation. There's a severe famine, but there's hope because there is grain in Egypt. The problem is the boys are just sort of sitting around and staring at one another and doing nothing. And maybe it's because the mention of Egypt reminds them that the last time they were thinking of Egypt, they were waving goodbye to Joseph. Uh, they were holding sacks of silver where they had sold him, and they were sort of saying, Good, goodbye and so long, sucker. And just maybe the Lord is beginning to work upon them at this, this point. In any case, by force of divine circumstances, God is, is ordering a reunion between the brothers. So as the brothers sit there, Jacob barks at them and says, get on down to Egypt and get some grain. And they obey him. And it's all because of the famine. And, and what we're kind of seeing as we write the way through this Joseph story is, is God's hidden hand, his providence at work. And sometimes God leads his people into labyrinths and you don't really know what's happening and why. It's only when you get to the, to the end of the story and you see the final uh, outcome of the story that you can look at the beginning and you can say, well, that's just glorious. God uh, is, a, is a genius in the way in which he does things. And he is gracious as well. But it's only when you get to the end that you can see what's going on. Now, as I say, reunion is not the same thing as reconciliation. You know, I might be able to get mum and Aunt Hilda. I haven't got an Aunt Hilda. I might be able to get them in the, in the same room together. But um, they might decide they're going to sit at either end of the table and stare daggers at one another. Reunion is not the same thing as reconciliation. But it helps, doesn't it? It, it helps if you can get in, in the same room without getting in the same room, without having some kind of contact at least, it's impossible for there to be any reconciliation. The problem is, when you fall out with someone, what do you want to do? You want to put distance between you and them. And if you can't do that physically, because maybe they're in the same office as you or whatever, or in the same house as you, well, you do that emotionally, don't you? You hold them at arm's length, you you give them the cold shoulder. But in order for there to be some kind of reconciliation process to begin, you need to get people in, into the same room. They need to at least be on the same call together. There needs to be some kind of communication, whether that's a note or a WhatsApp or, or whatever. So reunion is not the same thing as reconciliation, but it's a start. That's the first step. The second step is that there needs to be some kind of remorse so for reconciliation uh, to take place. On one side, of course, the, the wronged party, uh, the wrong party needs to forgive, and maybe there's wrong on both sides, but there needs to be some kind of forgiveness. And when it's a life-altering thing, uh, 
that is not an easy thing. It's not easy at all to, to forgive someone. But on the other side of the equation, the, the person who's done the wrong, there needs to be some kind of remorse. Reconciliation requires reunion and remorse. So as we pick up uh, the story, uh, we see as Joseph's brothers walk into his presence and Joseph claps eyes on them for the first time in over a decade. And you're thinking, what must he have, what must he have felt at that particular point? Verse 7 of chapter 42, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But, verse 8, they didn't recognize him. Irony, of course, they don't recognize him physically. Maybe he's um, shaved off that beard in Egyptian culture. He's a, he's a bit old. He's wearing Egyptian uh, clothes. They don't recognize him then. But they didn't recognize him back then as a brother either, did they? That's why they sold him into slavery in the first place. But Joseph recognizes them. And what's he going to do? I mean, what would you do in that situation? You know, you've been people trafficked. You've spent 13 years in slavery in prison. And now you're holding the gun. What do you do? Well, Joseph lets rip. He speaks harshly to, to them. He, he lays into them. Uh, wouldn't you? But then he recalls those dreams he had. Remember those in chapter 37, where his brothers and his parents come and bow down before him? He, he knows that God is at work. And as he realizes that God is at work, God shoots grace into his heart. And he's enabled supernaturally to be able to forgive his brothers for what they've done. Now, how do I know that? It doesn't say that directly. How do I know that? Well, because he doesn't enslave them. He doesn't execute them, which he could have done as prime minister of, of Egypt. Instead, he sets up three tests for them. He tests them in, in three ways. Now, we know that's what he's doing because he actually says to them that he's testing them in verse 14. And then again in verse 16, he's, he's testing them. Now, at this point, Joseph, he, he can't really just ask them um, whether they've changed their hearts, whether things are different. Now, he can't do that, of course, because they've got a gun against their head. And if you've got a gun against your head, you're just going to say what the person wants to hear. So he, he can't do that. And so what he does is he, he sets up a situation in, in various parts which mirrors the situation that he went through when he was sold for silver. And the, te the first test, test one, is Simeon or silver. What do they value more, a brother or a bulging wallet? That's the test. So Joseph comes up to them and says, look, you're, you're spies. And the brothers say, no, we're not, we're, we're, we're your servants. He goes, no, you're not, you're spies. And they say, honest, Gov, we're not, we're servants. And Joseph says, well, then, prove it. 
And instead of executing or enslaving them, he decides that he's going to keep Simeon uh, as a deposit. And he, he shows them great kindness because he could have executed them. He could have enslaved them. But he allows all of them apart from Simeon to go back. Because Joseph knows, the brothers don't know, but Joseph knows that there's only been two years of famine so far and there are five more to come. But what's the effect uh, upon them? The effect of all of this is that their conscience immediately begins to be awakened. Verse 21. They said to one another, Surely we're being punished because of our brother. For the first time, the brothers see that their situation is, is linked to the situation that they put Joseph in. And as Joseph begins to see this flicker in their eyes, well, he can hear it, actually, because they assume that he can't, but, he's, but obviously he understands Hebrew. And as he hears, well, he turns away and begins to weep. But then he shows even more kindness, kindness upon kindness to his brothers. By the way, here's a little tip if you're trying to work towards reconciliation. Do them a good turn. Why not uh, give them a gift or a card or a kind word? That's what seems to bring about their progress in reconciliation here. And there's always a danger if you do that, of course, that's going to be thrown back into your face. And the question is, are the brothers um, actually going to return if they go back home? Are they just going to leave Simeon there? Or are they going to just hold on uh, to, see, to the silver? Well, on the way, <clears throat> one of them opens a sack, and in the mouth there, there is silver. They discover it. And no doubt they're thinking to themselves, this is feeling rather familiar. We're going home, minus a brother, and flush with cash. What is our dad going to think? But that's not what they're concerned about. They're concerned about what God thinks. Verse 28. Their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has done? See, their concern is for God. Their concern is for that vertical relationship. If you were tuning in on on Wednesday evening, you would have heard uh, Rod Williams' story, a very powerful story. This man who, who got involved in uh, drugs and, and gambling ended up in, in prison. And uh, there was a turning point for him. And that turning point was like what we're seeing in this story here. It's, it's realizing that all, that's, all of the brokenness in his life is, is not first and foremost, uh, a horizontal thing. It's got horizontal effects, but first and foremost is, is a vertical thing. And uh, we were hearing as Rod, uh, that, that day in, in prison when he got down on his knees and he prayed, he said, I've prayed a thousand times that the Lord would forgive me. And I stood up and I had peace in my heart. And when that peace came, he was then able to begin to work through all of those horizontal uh, relationships with his family which had got so wrong. It's a beautiful story. It's really worth uh, the listen. It's on, on YouTube. Check it out later on if you haven't done so already. 
Well, at the end of chapter 42, the brothers are back in their father's home. There is, uh, as, as they are there and they open the sacks, they, to their consternation, they open the sacks and discover that there's silver, not just in one of the sacks, but in all of the sacks. And so the test for them is sharpened, isn't it? Because they've got more to lose. Not only have they got more to lose, but if they return to Egypt, they're going to be under great suspicion of theft, and that would have have meant death. So at this point, it's easy for them to have stood back and said, well, we're going to leave Simeon there. We're not going back, no way. But they don't do that. They're, They're willing, and it shows that their heart, the hearts of these brothers, has begun to be changed. But there's a problem with them going back. And the problem is Jacob. You see, to go back, they need to take Benjamin. That's what Joseph said to them. You've got to bring Benji uh, with you if, if you want to get Simeon back. And uh, Jacob doesn't want that. Benjamin's his new favorite. So uh, Reuben steps up to try and persuade him, but fails. And there's this stalemate. And at the end of the chapter, we're left waiting and wondering what's going to happen. And Simeon's left waiting and wondering, am I ever going to get out of this prison? And uh, Joseph is waiting and thinking, are these brothers actually ever going to come back? And reconciliation is deferred. And this is real, isn't it? Some of us have got broken relationships where reconciliation has been deferred even for years. That was the case with Rod's mum in his, his story. His mum had been praying for him for years and nothing seemed to happen. She was completely impotent to do anything about it. So she prayed. She realised that there needed to be divine intervention. Now, reunion and remorse, if someone shows those things, they're not nothing they're not nothing. They, well, if they're present, there is some real hope. But sometimes there's a spanner in the works. And that spanner is Jacob in this case. And uh, God can deal with spanners. And then we see, after the reunion and the remorse, a third step. We see the first signs of real repentance. So we, we come to chapter 43 and through a series of well, divinely ordained circumstances and the famine again, the, uh, the boys look and the, the cupboards are empty. And so they need to go back to Egypt no matter what or they're going to starve to death. And so once again, Jacob barks at them. Get, get yourself back there. But remember, he's not allowed to take, they're not allowed to take Benji. So at this point, Judah steps up to try and persuade his dad where Reuben had failed. He wants to persuade him. We, we need to take Benji with us. Otherwise, the man there will not give us the food. Now, you might remember uh, Judah. He's, he's the guy who had a less than stellar CV. 
He's the guy who sold his brother and then deceived his dad and then ran away to marry a pagan, raised two evil kids, deceived his daughter-in-law, sleeps with her, worshipped pagan idols, and then in an act of sheer hypocrisy demands that she be burned to death. Hardly a stellar CV. But he steps up to persuade uh, his, his uh, dad. And, and you remember that Reuben failed here. I mean, what did Reuben do at the end of chapter 42? He said, look, uh, send, send, um, send Benji with us, and if anything goes wrong, then you can kill my kids, is what he says, basically. And Jacob says, those are the grandkids. There's no way you're killing the grandkids. No deal, I'm keeping hold of Benjamin. But where Reuben failed, Jacob succeeds. So in verse 9, he doesn't offer his kids, Jacob's grandkids, he offers himself. He says, verse 9, I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. And Jacob's persuaded in verse 14, says, May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And then the question is, is... Is Judah going to follow through? There's, there's repentance in the bud, but will it come out into its full flower? And I just want us to just pause at that point and, and notice the different rates of change between these brothers. Change is, is rarely kind of a, a step change. It's usually kind of a very gentle slope. It's, it's incremental rather than great leaps. You see, um, if you're in a relationship which is moving towards reconciliation, if there's a kind word or a birthday card, well, it's not everything, but, but it is something. It's not nothing. It's not full reconciliation. But even signs of repentance are to be treasured and, and celebrated. Well, we pick things up again in verse 19. And despite the risk to themselves, as the brothers go back, they are honest about the money. They show real evidence that their hearts have been changed. They put Simeon above their own skin. And the steward says, peace, don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. And he hands back Simeon to them. And so the brothers have passed test number one. And the steward then takes them to Joseph. They enter and they bow before him. Twice the narrator tells us he's wanting to tell us God is is at work here. He's fulfilling the dreams that were given to Joseph. And he sets them a second test. So test number one, it's Simeon or silver. They pass that one. Test number two, it's jealousy or joy. And again, Joseph is trying to mirror the situation that he himself faced. And so he plays a game of family favorites. Remember, he was dad's favorite. Well, this time he says, I'm going to be dad. I'm going to play the role of dad. And Benji could play the role of me. He could be the one who's favored. So notice how he says in verse 29, God be gracious to you, my son. He's dad, Benji 
is the favored one. But as he does this and he sees Benjamin, well, he's just seen him for the first time and again he breaks down for a second time. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looks for a place to weep. And it's just a reminder for us that working for reconciliation can be really costly. You know, if you're the one wronged, if you're working towards reconciliation, you've got to open up those wounds and those old aches come back and, and tears will flow inevitably. But if you know that God is at work, you can do it. And Joseph knows God is at work and he, he continues to give this test then. He plays family favorites and, and the way he does it is this. He, he separates Benji to start off with, and he serves him food alone. He, he gives him a, his own private dining room, so to speak. And then, that was verse 32, and then in verse 34, he gives him five times as much food as the others. Now, try that next time at family dinner time, those of you with family. See how, how that goes. G- give the youngest five times as much food as the rest, and and see how it works out. See if they complain. But verse 34, they feasted and drank freely with them. No word of complaint, no. Why on earth has he got five times more? That's not fair. Why has he got more than me? No, it seems that the brothers have learned their lesson. And so they pass test number two with distinction. And Joseph now gives them a third test, which we'll look at next week. But it makes you ask, isn't two enough? You know, they've passed two tests with flying colours. Why a third? Well, because reconciliation requires trust. And trust requires someone who is trustworthy. If someone stole money from you, I would suggest that you shouldn't give them a loan the day after. If someone is guilty of abuse, I would suggest that you wouldn't let your kids play with them the day after, or even the year after, or even the decade after. Trust needs to be earned. And of course, that's tricky because the clock is ticking. And sometimes that means that reconciliation is impossible. And that's where we leave the story, not with it being impossible, but there's no reconciliation yet. It doesn't come until chapter 45. So we've got reunion and we've got remorse and we've got signs of repentance. But that fourth R, reconciliation, we're going to have to come back to next week. It's round the corner, but it's not there yet. But I think this is helpful for us to stop here because that's where we all are in life. We're all mid-story. We're all living with hope deferred. Just to mention Rod's story just once more, he said that, that after he prayed and after he stood up and felt that peace, he said, At that point, 
hope invaded my world. It was a very striking phrase. Hope invaded my world, he said. You see, if we've got right with God, it means that hope has invaded our world. That we can have hope of reconciliation, uh, not just in our vertical relationships, but in at least some of our horizontal relationships. Because it means that we can reach out to people because we know that Christ has reached out to us. In fact, he's reached out so far. He's come from heaven down to earth to have this reunion with us. He's become our brother. And we have hope invading our world because, well, we can be remorseful over our wrongdoing and over our sin. We don't need to hide away because Christ has come towards us and embraced the cost of reconciliation with us. And hope can invade our world because we we can repent where we get it wrong. Because the Spirit has been given to us to enable us to repent. It was a tumble turn lesson in my son's swimming school uh, this week. He was learning to do tumble turns. And, and if we're swimming towards the wall in, in our relationships, in our life, we can turn and go the other direction. We can expect significant, substantial, and observable progress in our relationships, even if it is painfully slow. Even if it's painfully slow. Maybe this morning has just um, alerted you to a relationship that's, that's not right. And uh, maybe there are some actions that you might be able to do. It's not always possible. And if you're not already reconciled to God, then be reconciled to him. That's, that's the starting point. That's where you're going to get the, the power to pursue reconciliation in your horizontal relationships. So if you have that vertical reconciliation, then that horizontal process of reconciliation can, can begin. You can at least do your part. You can at least seek reunion and show remorse where you need to and repent where you need to. You can do your part. For others, of course, we often just need to pray for them and ask God to take the initiative. But we know that God has taken the initiative with us, and so that gives us the strength to take initiative with others. Maybe you say, well, I've got a relationship and there's no steps that I can take because the person I fell out with has died. Or I've lost contact with them, got no hope of making contact. But I want to say that there's still hope because heaven is the reunion of the reconciled. Heaven is the place where people are reconciled to God and to one another. So if you've got a Christian friend, brother or sister, parent or grandparent, and you, and you fell out with them and you were never able to, to sort it out, you never quite got, a, got along, you, you kind of coexisted with one another, but there was always a barrier to the communication there. And you longed, you wished that that relationship could be sorted. Your heart aches when you think about it. Well, know this. 
when you are in heaven with them, sin will be no barrier. All the pain will be in the past. And every tear will be wiped away. And together, you will gladly bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. Reconciled. Reconciled to him. Reconciled to one another. At that great reunion. The reunion of the reconciled. Let's pray. Our great Father, thank you for all uh, this Joseph story teaches us about reconciliation. And we thank you that you are the great reconciler. Thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross to reconcile a hostile world to yourself. And thank you that you give us grace to pursue reconciliation with others. Father, as we've been talking about broken relationships, this would have opened up uh, painful memories for many this morning. For some, we're aware of things we need to do, but for others, uh, we quietly weep as we think about the relationships that are broken. We pray that you would work through us wherever possible towards reconciliation. And we thank you that we do have that great reconciliation in heaven to look forward to when we are and, and, and see our reconciliation to you and to all those who are in Christ. And we praise you for that hope in Jesus' name. Amen.